Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. You know, growing up in the 70s, most kids were pretty feral, <laughs> but we were especially so. And um, I um, come from a large family, and it was pretty chaotic. Um, there were eight kids. Jean Westcott grew up in upstate New York with two brothers and five sisters. My father was a bit of a jock in, in his high school days, and so, like, we played—there were enough of us that we could play basketball against each other, and we would play— baseball, and it just was, we were just raised to be competitive. They were even competitive when they were watching television. Um, I started watching Jeopardy! with my family. Um, probably, it had to be Art Fleming, but I don't remember. I just remember the questions. <laughs> but uh, vying for attention um, was something that we would have to do, you know, because there were so many of us. Name of the flag with white skull and crossbones on a black field. Todd. What is a Jolly Roger? A jolly Roger. Well done. You're in lead, sir. So long. It was always exciting when I could know the answer, even when I was really little. You know, it was, uh, um, it got me the attention from my father. I got to, like, have a little bit of bragging rights. And uh, so it was something that we did when my dad was in the house. He was in and out of our lives, but it was something that was always a constant. And um, So would you sit around when, with your father and your brothers and sisters and all be sitting around and be calling out the answers? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, you know, obviously a lot of them were beyond our ability, but it was just, you know, and it was chaos, but we, <laughs> we always had a way of making ourselves heard. Jean spent a lot of her childhood at the local library, she thinks this gave her an edge during her family's Jeopardy nights. I would read everything. Um, it wasn't necessarily to prove that I knew everything. It was just I wanted to know everything. And, um, you know, that's not something that's rewarded socially very much. And and when you would be there and you'd, you'd get it right, you know, do you remember your father looking at you and saying, good job, Jean, or kind of nodding in approval? No, it was definitely would have been silent approval. Um, it, it was because he wanted it. You know, it was his ego as well. When you would watch Jeopardy as a little girl with your father and your brother and sisters, would you think to yourself, I want to do that one day? No. <laughs> it was, it was, um, TV was um, so, like, much like another planet, you know. it. I never connected it is to something that was logical or attainable. Jean went on to study politics and economics in college and was a DJ at her college radio station. She later moved to D.C. and worked at a bookstore while also going to law school. In 1990, she met a man named Sean Westcott, and they got married. They had a son and daughter. 
She continued one of her father's traditions with her children, playing along with television game shows. When I would watch TV with my kids, we had like, you know, we'd watch The Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, and the local news. Um, We would play together, and my oldest was, you know, suitably impressed. (laughs) And he's like, you should try out, you should try out. For the first time in the late 90s or early 2000s, Jean Westcott took the idea of trying out for Jeopardy seriously. She decided she would audition, but she wasn't picked. And it was disappointing, but at the same time, I loved it, and I wanted to do it again. So she auditioned again, and then again and again, for years. Over 20. Decades. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. We'll be right back. Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Just go to Indeed.com slash This Is Love right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash This Is Love. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you, and their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now Edit, also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Jeopardy! was created by television host Merv Griffin. He remembered his wife, Julianne, coming up with the idea in 1963. What if a quiz show gave the answers to the contestants and they had to come up with the questions? If you want to try out for Jeopardy! today, you need to take a test online. Bess Truman was born in this state in 1885. What is Missouri? The title of this song, a number two hit by Drake, refers to a late-night cell phone call. What is Hotline Bling? 
If you pass, you'll be invited to audition for Jeopardy by video conference. Before the pandemic, you'd be invited to a regional in-person audition. These were held in various cities across the U.S. But in the 90s, each region had their own way of narrowing down thousands of applicants. One former contestant remembered having to call a phone number for the local television station. He got a busy signal for 90 minutes before making it through. Another contestant remembered hearing that if you sent a postcard to the local television station, you could be chosen to audition. On the last possible evening, he drove to the television station and put it in the box, and he got picked. Jean Westcott lived in Washington, D.C., which happened to be one of the cities that regularly hosted Jeopardy! tryouts. It had nothing to do with skill at that point. It was just um, being chosen. And tell me, before that first audition, did you did you prepare? Did you spend a lot of time practicing? Well, um, there's a couple things that I think that everyone needs to practice and everyone knows their weak spots. But I think general knowledge of the presidents in order <laughs> as far as uh, knowing their um, – their dates, um, knowing the basic plot points of the major Shakespeare, Shakespearean plays, couple operas, um, your bodies of water, take a look at an atlas. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I didn't study heavy because I knew that the questions are like in the show, that they come from everywhere. Um, what I would do, and working, I worked in a bookstore for 17 years. One thing I would pick do is I would pick up the World Almanac because I could look, okay, Oscar winners. You know, that was my study material. And any time I went to an audition, I would busy myself in the process of getting to the audition or waiting for the audition, just reading through the pages of the Almanac. Back then... Jeopardy! auditions began with a written test. And you'd be called in in groups. There's a bunch of nervous people <laughs> who I hadn't realized how far people had driven to get there. A lot of people had driven four, six, eight, ten hours to get to the um, audition. Um, in the, in the, I, for I guess the first couple, we were like a big group, probably 60 to 80 people, and you would all sit down, and you get the introduction, and there would be a slideshow of um, questions, you know, and you would take a test um, in the room. And then while they were grading the test, they would have us watch a little introductory video and grade the test, Then they would come out and they would dismiss everyone who hadn't qualified. So it was that was a pretty tense way of doing things. And, you know, especially just seeing the looks on people's faces after all that investment in time and energy. And um, everyone had to come dressed as if they were on the show. So it was pretty nerve-wracking. <laughs> and then... So these are people. These are people that had kind of dressed up. Oh, everybody! Yeah, we were all in business attire. They tell you to dress um, as if you were appearing on the show. Jean remembers about two thirds of the people in the room with her were dismissed, but she made the cut. It made me happy, and it reinforced that I I belonged, um, and 
Um, I had so much enthusiasm from coworkers and from my family um, and my brothers and sisters. You know, everyone believed I could do it. And I'm glad I didn't disappoint them or disappoint myself that I'm like, okay, I can do it. Everyone who made it past the written test went on to the next stage. So you get through, and then you stand up in groups. And is it kind of like you have a Alex Trebek-type host who's, who's now you're, you feel like you're, you're, really, you're really playing? Yeah, it was—so you're standing up, and you're, you don't have the pedestal you're standing behind, so you feel a little naked. Um, and uh, they hand you little buzzers, and um, they tell you to speak up and be enthusiastic, all the coaching you would expect— you know, if they're trying to produce good TV. Um, And, uh, yeah, they ask you questions. And um, you knew you were up against strong players, but um, you still wanted to win. Jean did well at that mock game. All of her responses were correct. But there is still one last part of the process. Uh, that little personality interview, you know, when they ask you about yourself. And uh, it was fun (laughs) in that they tried to keep it light and there were a lot of jokes. Oh, and they all took, they took Polaroids of everyone and we had to write down um, some props for interesting stories to discuss with the host. And uh, um, so, yeah, it was pretty tense. And you walk out, just saying, okay, you're in the pool. But at the same time, you just you saw fear. <laughs> what do they say? Do they say, go home and we'll call you if we need to? Yes, sometime in the next 18 months. It was weird because you never got rejected. You just never got chosen. So you got home thinking, you got home thinking, okay, I, maybe I'll get a phone call. Yep. And then for 18 months, you just have to sit and wait. Yep. She never heard back. But Jean says she had such a great time at the audition, she couldn't wait to try again. But according to the rules of the show, she wasn't allowed to come back during this waiting period. I would say the hardest thing was you couldn't take the next year's test. Like, when you were in the pool... When you were in the eligibility pool, um, you couldn't take it again. So after those 18 months were up and you realized that, okay, I, I didn't get picked, but I can now be eligible to take the test again, did you do it right away? Yes, yes. Just like the first time, Jean made it past the written test, did well on her mock game, and then didn't hear back. So... After you didn't make it through on the second round, I mean, would you tr- would you tr- start? Were you trying out every eighteen months, every time? Yes. Yep, every time, and because I think it was only once a year, and so it would be every other year. And each time they gave you a little bit of, uh, they gave you a pen. Just the button action is the same as the um, as the buzzer. And so they say, when you play at home, ring in. And we started to make sets of rules in my family when we played that I had to wait until Alex had finished reading the question. She had to wait 
because contestants are only allowed to buzz in after the last syllable of the clue is read. If you ring in too soon, your buzzer gets locked for a quarter of a second. The buzzer has been called totally diabolical. So, like, my husband, if he knew it, he could shout it out before, and, like, he would get the non—we didn't keep score, but he would get that one because he could ring in at any time and or blurt out the answer, but I had to wait. In 2004, Ken Jennings won 74 games in a row, setting the record for most consecutive games won. And today, he's the host of Jeopardy. He said that in high-level games, buzzer timing, quote, tends to separate the winner from the non-winners. Contestants have tried to figure out the best way to hold the buzzer. Sideways, with two hands, even brace it on the podium. Jean continued going to auditions as often as she could. She went to so many that she started to recognize members of the Jeopardy crew. Maggie Speak was the contestant coordinator at the time. Um, during most of these, she recognized me. Like, I remember once I had dyed my hair and she loved the color, you know. So, I mean, it was like, I knew the people. <laughs> they were the same people every time. What parts of the audition process did you like? What were your favorite parts? The standing up and answering questions. You know, like the standing there with the buzzer and doing it. Because it felt very much like a kind of like a sports kind of thing, you know. Um, I enjoyed that the best. Um, and I, 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 t- I would take tests for fun. I mean, I, <laughs> I always love taking tests. It's the opposite of test anxiety. I know that's weird. In 2014, a Washington Post reporter covered the local auditions in D.C. Word got around that there was a person there who had tried out nine times. The reporter wrote, I asked around until I found that determined soul. Jean told the reporter that trying out for Jeopardy was her hobby. But she was starting to question why she wasn't getting picked. As I auditioned over and over and over and over and over again, um, I started to, like, second guess, like, well, one, I'm, I'm overweight. And so I'm like, oh, am I too fat? And then you're like, oh, did I not choose the right clothes? Oh, is it my personality? <laughs> you know, and it's just like I, I took comfort in that I was competing in D.C., and I would— I knew that there was a bit of an overrepresentation from um, people from D.C. And while I never practiced, I have a law degree. So I'm like, oh, God, an attorney from D.C., they, <laughs> they have enough of those. Um, and so I would kind of console myself with, okay, it's, you know, they just don't need another person from D.C. And, but even that didn't work sometimes. I just felt like a big failure, you know, so— because you knew that you were getting all the questions right, so it it must be something about you, your personality, the way exactly. you looked. <laughs> yeah, it's like it. It's not a matter of it. It is you. Did you ever get to a point, you know, after the third or fourth audition, fifth audition, where you thought, "I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I'm trying really hard, and they're not picking me. I, I'm not doing it." No, no, I. And the thing is, is I, at some point, I was like, this is just who I am. This is the girl who applies, 
tries, does well, doesn't get on. Jean Westcott kept auditioning for over 20 years. To her knowledge, nobody has tried out for Jeopardy as many times as she has. And then, in February 2021, she got a phone call. It said, hi, this is, I think it was Glenn, Glenn from Jeopardy. We're going to be calling you within the next 24 hours. They said, don't worry, it's not bad news. We'll be right back. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. After auditioning for more than 20 years, Jean Westcott finally got the phone call. They wanted her to be on Jeopardy. She was told she would need to fly to California, but Jean was worried about COVID. You know, I was like, you know, you're still nervous about going to the grocery store. You know, you're still nervous about, like, seeing your family. And I now, of course, this is when I'm going to be saying, oh, you need to get a hotel. You need to fly in a plane. So it was a little bit of the, of course, this is when. And then you also have the self-doubt. It's like, wait, wait, wait. They couldn't get anyone else, could they? You know, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like this worked out really well, and I still kind of have that feeling. And so, uh, you know, it's like I know I earned my spot, you know, but <laughs> it's just one of these things where you're like, okay, okay, they were desperate, <laughs> and um, but I still wasn't gonna, I was never gonna say no. How did you start preparing for the show? It was uh, the almanac again. And um, when I told my family that I was going to be on, like my siblings, um, my sister Beth said, you need to work on sports. And she asked me, what team has uh, the first female manager? And I thought it was the Mets. And it was the Marlins. And my other sister was asking me about cocktail recipes because, you know, you know, that's the kind of thing she thought I needed to practice. So you had one sister calling you to tell you, this is, this is what 
is in a Manhattan, and another sister saying, got to figure out the sports. Did it feel like there was this whole community around you had been championing you for so many years that we're now saying, Jean, one more thing. Don't forget this. Book one, Genesis, is... Yes. Yes. It was amazing. And that's, that's, um, I feel like I was living everybody's little dream for Jean. So it wasn't their dream, you know, but when anybody who was like truly loved me knew I loved this. And so they knew it was important to me. In March 2021, Jean arrived at Sony Picture Studios in Culver City. At the time, Jeopardy! was going through a lot of change. The longtime host, Alex Trebek, had died the year before. He'd been the host since 1984 and hosted more than 8,200 episodes. While the producers searched for his replacement, guest hosts, including Anderson Cooper, Aaron Rodgers, and LeVar Burton, were going to fill in. What was it like walking out on that, on that stage for the first time? Surreal. Surreal. The whole day is just, it's just step, 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 step. You know, you don't, you can't take it in, you know, because you'll get overwhelmed. Um, and it was, it was wonderful terrifying, confusing, frustrating, all those things. And uh, and you're given a little COVID bag, and they had hand sanitizer and um, bring you into a room. We were in the room, uh, the studio that where the audience would sit for Wheel of Fortune. And, you know, everything's all covered up. You, I could see the wheel, but it was all covered up. Wait, um, a, wait a second. Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune happened next to each other? Yeah, there are two studios right next to each other. In real life, always? Yeah, so it's not just on your television. Yeah, yeah, they're wow. right next to each other on the Sony lot, yep. And um, we found out who our host was going to be. We were all surprised because um, they were just announcing that day the next set of hosts. Her host would be Dr. Oz. And there was no audience, so we would be each other's audience. At that point, um, I think they sweeten the sound to make people sound like they're clapping when instead of the, you know, however many people, I think there were like 17 or 16 people. A book publishing professional from Woodbridge, Virginia, Jean Westcott. And I think I stayed, I stayed very um, aloof. Like I felt like I, I didn't let my nerves get to me. In 2020, Kim Ng became the first woman general manager in Major League Baseball for this Florida team. Jean. What are the Marlins? Correct. All right, 600 in Kim. I really couldn't believe that that one question that came from my sister, who had been in that living room, you know, at this point, almost, you know, 50 years ago or 40-something years ago, and... uh, that exact question. Out of all the questions. Brave six-year-old Percival William Williams is known as We This from a book of nursery rhymes. Jean. Who is Willie? Yes, that's right. It's We Willie Winky. When I, and it was funny, like it's when you were playing for real, it took me a little while to realize I was playing for real. And I remember... I felt like, wait, wait, Gene, you're not doing the game you want to do. And so I started going for the clues at the bottom. I'm like, if I want to win, I have to start 
Like, there was a point where I remember it clicked, and I was like, now. Gene. What is Eye of the Tiger? Correct. All right, 12 letter uh, for 1,000. Was it easier? I mean, was it harder than you thought? I mean, you've been playing for so long at home and in these auditions, but when you actually got up there and you had the buzzer in your hand, did you realize, well, this is, this is really different? You know, I think all those years of practice <laughs> actually served me well. Um, I, 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 all the time, I was comfortable about the game. It's time for Final Jeopardy. Here's your category. American history. Please make your wagers. We'll be back with the clue after this. So what were you go what were you going into Final Jeopardy with and how much did you bet? I had a I was going in at like twelve thousand, mm. which is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can't even remember the exact, but I had done pretty well. And um I had uh um I bet it all. I wanted to win as big as I could. Well, you'd waited long enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome back. We're in Final Jeopardy. The category, American history. Here's your clue. While performing in Philadelphia, the future father of this man sent a letter threatening to slit Andrew Jackson's throat. You have 30 seconds. Good luck. I was like, what family would be around to be both pissed at Andrew Jackson? And I didn't know Abe Lincoln. And I came up with George H. W. Bush. (laughs) (laughs) The correct response was John Wilkes Booth. Uh, Gene, let me go to you. You have $12,800. Were you able to find that response? Nope. (laughs) George Bush. He wasn't that old. (laughs) (laughs) H.W. You wagered 12798 which takes you to $2. Bryce, you have $34,000. I, I knew I blew it, but I didn't think I would have been able to come up with it. I mean, that's the thing that if it was something that I just got the name wrong or I spelled wrong or I had was just like I named the wrong beetle or something like that, that would have been disappointing. But I so brilliantly blew it. I was so wrong <laughs> that I can't, I can't be mad at myself, you know. And uh, it was like this exhale. Um, and I, I, was kind of, I was kind of proud of how badly I answered it. After the show, Jean says she was exhausted. She called her family and broke the news that she didn't win. She drove around California, took pictures of Culver City, and flew home to Virginia the next day. The episode aired six weeks later. She watched it in her living room with her son and her husband. Her daughter was watching from Seattle. And when the episode ended, this thing that had been part of her life for more than 20 years was over. I miss doing it so much. (laughs) <laughs> like, I would, I would, you know, like, everybody who's been on the show would be on it again in a minute. Jean's father, the person who introduced her to Jeopardy, never got to see her play. He died in 2006, and they weren't in touch in the years leading up to his death. So he never got to see that I kept to it. But I'm sure wherever he was throughout his life... If there was a TV on and Jeopardy was available, he was playing in that room as well. 
Jean and her husband still watch every night. If you want to try out for Jeopardy today, you can take their online test on the show's website. I would constantly be trying to encourage other people um, that I know, oh, you should do it, the online test, it's easy, you know. Okay, so I just logged on to the adult practice test, and one of the questions is, in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord set a mark upon this brother, lest any finding him should kill him. Uh, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, is it Shem? Is it? No, I don't know. Oh, gosh. You've done it, Jean. You don't have to answer one more question. Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) I don't have to answer any more questions. (laughs) And I have the invitations that prove that I've passed so many tests. You have all all the pens. You have all the buzzer pens. I have all the pens. I have a hat. They give me a hat. (laughs) I have um I have headphones. I have so much Jeopardy swag. This is Love is created by Lauren Spore and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Sam Kim, and Megan Kinane. This episode was mixed by Veronica Simonetti. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And sign up for our newsletter at thisislovepodcast.com slash newsletter. You can listen to This Is Love without any ads by signing up for Criminal Plus. You'll also get to listen ad-free to our other shows, Criminal and Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes and more. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit, also known as the Nine edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Podcast.